Happy Thursday, everybody. Will Brinson here with the Pick 6 Podcast. Hope you're enjoying your commute, your gym trip, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Today, coming up on the program, Grant Paulson of 106.7 The Fan in D.C. is going to break down the Redskins. Devotees of the show may notice that we've done two NFC East teams. We will be doing more of them Friday will be Patrick Walker of 247 Sports, and then Monday will be Jimmy Kimsky of Philly Voice Breaking Down the Eagles. Yes, we will be doing all 32 NFL teams in sort of a uh, let's break it all down roster reset type of way. And so if you have somebody you would like to hear from another team, I think we're shooting for NFC North next. But you can tell me any other team in the NFL, let me know. We will do our best to get them on and accommodate you, the dear listener, because you guys are the most important people out there. Uh, two confessions to make. And I'm going to. Beg you for a review, promo code DRAFT, and uh, we'll hit some news and notes, and then we'll get to Grant. One, I lost my keys in the trash can. Devastating. 18 hours, my keys went missing. Couldn't take my kid to school. Couldn't lock my house when I went on a jog around the lake with my dog and the kid. And uh, it turns out they were in a bag full of enchilada sauce and peppers and onions, because I, when I came home, I, I was in a hurry, and I was making an enchilada casserole. You may, made put the trash in a, in one of the grocery bags, had somehow dropped the keys in there and placed the, uh, placed the old keys in the, in the, in the bag in the trash can. They were sitting in there for 18 hours. Lovely, lovely situation for me. Um, I usually take a really bad L on, on losing keys at least once a year. This is the worst one. Easily, easily, easily the worst one. Uh, messy situation. So if you got a, if you've got a bad story about losing keys, you know, write that in your review on iTunes. And please, please rate and review on iTunes. We love reviews. For instance, this one from Les123. I've been starting to listen to this recently. I listen to podcasts all day at work, but this is my favorite one to start on my commute. Hello. Thank you. I love the beer talk too. Have a beer from California. I want to send you to try. Keep it up. Yeah. We love beer. Always like beer. If you got a beer you want to send me, Email me at willbrinson at gmail.com and I will happily provide you my address to ship me beer. Or if you want, if you have a beer that you want me to try on the podcast and talk about, I'm sure, whatever. We'll, I'll go buy a beer and try it on the podcast. That's a, that's an expense report waiting to happen, baby. Um, rate and review. Keep rating and reviewing. It really, really helps. Not only does it make me feel better about my life and myself as a person, but it helps my bosses, uh, you know, m- want to promote the podcast. More importantly, maybe even tell a friend. You can see the, the ranking in the iTunes drops a little bit after the, uh, the draft, naturally. You know, football season, football interest drops a little bit. But if you give somebody a word of mouth recommendation and they subscribe, that's great for us. Or steal your phone. Steal your significant other's phone in the middle of the night. Subscribe and maybe even throw a review on there too. That's what I did to my wife. She, she now has to listen to me in the mornings when she wakes up, whether she likes it or not, multiple times. Draft. Go download the draft app and use the promo code PICK6, P-I-C-K space S-I-X. You will get a free best ball entry when you deposit if you use that promo code and it is the best way to do daily fantasy. You can doubt, you, you can do a day. We're going to do a listener draft. I, I'm technologically unsavvy so that sort of got screwed the pooch but we're going to do it you download the app enter the promo code and then you can enter the listener best ball league and what we'll do is we'll have the draft you don't have to worry about waivers no ad drops no setting your lineup it just takes the best two running backs the best two wide receivers the best flex the best quarterback you've got on your roster and it gives you the highest score you could possibly obtain which means if you're good at drafting you will not be hosed by the dude who holds on to the number one waiver claim so download draft draft 
and use promo code PICK6 and get that free best ball entry. News and notes, and then Grant Paulson. Ben Roethlisberger wants to play until he's 40. Wow, what a surprise that Ben Roethlisberger, despite oh, two years of retirement talk, uh, despite – you know, the Steelers having, you know, now the Steelers having drafted somebody. This guy wants to shove himself into the, uh, the news cycle. Color me shocked. Shock me, shock me, shock me with your incredible tales of, 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 of needing attention, Ben. I, it's unbelievable. So Ben Roethlisberger clearly, uh, probably not going to play till he's 40. I would guess he plays till his contract is up and then maybe they try to go to Mason Rudolph, but yeah, you draft a quarterback in the third round and now Ben's mad. John Gruden has quote consolidated power with the Raiders. Yes. I would say he has. He signed a $100 million 10-year contract. At that point in time, he consolidated power pretty effectively. And John Dorsey has an incredible collection of brown sweatshirts, one for each day of the week. This is the biggest offseason news since Bill Belichick's dog wore a cut-off hoodie to a baseball game. All right, joining us now to talk some Redskins. Friend of the program, friend of mine. Great radio host in D.C., Grant Paulson. How you doing, man? Will Branson, what's up, buddy? How are you? <laughs> I can't complain. Um, it's, it's sunny here in the, uh, in North Carolina. And, uh, you know what? I almost wanted to make this instead of a, instead of a Washington, uh, Redskins podcast. I just wanted to make it a Max Scherzer appreciation podcast. <laughs> it's been unbelievable. I saw your tweet when he was on the hill against the Pirates going back to his most recent start. And he was shoving as he tends to. You know, he pitched six-plus innings of two-run ball, and his ERA went up as he was named the pitcher of the month. Not a bad first month after two straight Cy Young Awards. No, not at all. And, like, so I have um my pal Zeke, who lives in D.C., takes me to Nats games whenever I'm up there. I got this Max Scherzer shirt with, like, the two eyes discolored because I've happened to have him on my – Great shirt. Yeah, it's, yep. yeah, it's an incredible shirt. I've had him on my fantasy team the last three years. And so I've sort of converted – I mean, I'm a Braves fan at, at – yeah, I'm a Braves fan. That's how I roll. But it's hard not to root for the Nats when you sort of get into Max Scherzer because he's a he's a psychopath and and a delightful psychopath and a competitive psychopath. And and so, uh, by the way, for people that don't know, Grant does uh, radio host with uh, with uh, it's the Grant and Danny show. 10 to 2, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. If you're driving through D.C. and you're not listening to 106.7 The Fan, what are you doing with your life? Uh, you also do Fox 5 D.C. and cap stuff for NBC Washington and MLB Network Radio. How much stuff? I mean, what, what do you? What, what is your free time? We're multitasking. There's not a lot of free time. I prefer it that way. When you make very little money, you pull a <laughs> bunch of pieces of the pie together and, and you get by. But uh, real quick on Scherzer, I'll say this. I've gotten to know him a little bit, and he is ultra competitive in every aspect of his life. So legitimately in the clubhouse when they're just shooting into made up fake baskets with paper balls, or when they take bunting, pitching uh, batter practice, you know, he's cursing at Gio Gonzalez. I mean, the dude just is wired that way. And that's kind of like you, how I watch sports. Now you, you become less a fan, almost of teams as you get older and more of certain players who carry themselves in, in ways that you admire. Yeah. And sure. is at the top of the list for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like watching him and Clayton Kershaw pitch are two of my favorite things in, in life. As I'm a, I mean, like, you know, obviously we cover football, but I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a baseball guy at heart. I mean, that was probably my original sport. Anyway, let's talk, uh, Redskins because the draft ended and I thought that the Redskins, and I think the Redskins in general, Grant, are not getting their due, but I thought that the Redskins, uh, had a pretty nice little draft. What did you, uh, what did you think about Washington and what they did? 
I actually really like their draft. And they went into the draft with some turmoil in the front office, frankly, because people just aren't really quite sold on the process at this point. Post Scott McLuhan, who was very popular in Washington, D.C. as their general manager and the grocery picker. They turned things over uh, largely to Doug Williams publicly. I mean, he runs the press conferences now and has the closest thing to the GM title. But really, it's Bruce Allen's operation, and Eric Schaefer works the contracts and meets with the agents, and their draft rooms run by uh, Kyle Smith, who's probably little known nationally, but is a sharp up-and-comer. This is A.J. Smith, the longtime general manager, including in San Diego's son. I think they did a really good job. Their plan going in was to address what is a underachieving, older, and yet improving defensive line that just wasn't good enough. They were dead last stop in the run in yards per game last year, and they've been in the bottom five in the league in yards per play, up front stop in the run the last couple of years. So they wanted to get someone who could help bolster that defensive front in round one. They did that with Deron Payne out of Alabama to play nose tackle at 13. And their plan in the second round was to get a running back, initially at 44. And a guy that they didn't think would be available for him at 44 fell into their lap in Darius Geis. And they still moved back 15 spots, thinking it's just too good of an offer to to trade back because they didn't have a third-round pick because of the Alex Smith trade. So they said, well, we won't get Geis, but we'll get a running back we still like. It's a deep position this year. They moved back to 59, and Geis is still sitting there. So they picked up a third-rounder, which they didn't have. They got the defensive lineman they wanted. And they probably got the running back they wanted in the first two rounds. That's a yeah, that's a good draft. And all right, I'll ask you about the running back thing first because when I when you look at the way that this running back group is set up in Washington, I thought I mean like there's a lot I like about Rob Kelly and there's a lot I like about Samaje Pirine, but ultimately they don't feel like high upside guys in terms of being bell cows or sort of sort of both sort of plotting in 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 that sense. Chris Thompson, of course, electric when he has the ball in his hands, but you can't make him your feature back. A tough injury he he had and you don't know exactly how he's going to come back. I mean, guys slides right in as the guy in this in this running back group, right? Oh, there's no question. Darius Geis is their starter on first and second down, and he'll lead him in carries this season. I'll be shocked if there's any part of, part of a timeshare, really, other than the third down role being Chris Thompson's. Uh, I think Rob Kelly will be lucky to be on the roster, yeah. if I had to guess. I mean, it's a good story that. You know, he was productive in the NFL, and I don't think his days in the league are done. There's a home for him somewhere. I'm just not sure it's going to be here. And if you look at the last couple seasons, his yards per carry averages and the fact that he never rushed for 100 yards in college and was undrafted out of Tulane, uh, there's not a whole lot of juice left to squeeze, I don't think. Samaje Piran was a fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma and has a much different resume and track record. And I'd assume that he does have a fairly bright future in Washington, but it's going to be backing up Darius Geis, who's going to get a lot of opportunities in training camp in the preseason to separate himself from the rest of the pack. And the Thompson role's carved out. He's just not durable. And this dates back to Florida State. He gets hurt. Uh, he's brittle and small. He's five foot seven and 170-plus you know, pounds. And as thick as he's built his body and his frame, and he does a lot better job staying on the field now, as you saw last season in a freak injury, it's kind of been the book on him. You, you just don't want him getting more than somewhere between eight and a dozen touches a game. And he'll be on the field when they're in hurry up, when they're in four-minute offense or any kind of obvious passing downs. He's great at picking up blitzes as well. But Geis is going to get an opportunity to be the best running back Jay Gruden's had in Washington. Uh, They haven't had a really productive, I like the phrase we use, bell cow, you know, focal point. They could build a running game around 
since Alfred Morris back in the early ages of Robert Griffin with the Shanahan's in 2012 and 2013, when he was rushing for 1,600 and 1,200 yards, it's been by committee. It's, it's been guys who get hot and they ride you know, legs for a couple of games at a time. I think that changes. If Geis is who they think he is, he, he's going to be a starter for them week in and week out when he's healthy. And, and that, see, to me, that gets interesting because you point out that they haven't had that guy. And even with the Shanahan's and you had Alfred Morris playing well, this, you know, the Shanahan's will, you know, at the, at the flip of a switch, you know, throw in some other six round running back. But who they just want to, they just want to see him rush for a hundred yards on a, on any given day in, in their, in their scheme. Um, but then when you look at, so you put Geis in that, in, in, in Gruden's system and you start to look at this offensive line. And I remember I would talk to Jay Gruden at the, at the owners meetings and you could see it on his face. I asked him, I was like, have you ever seen a season like last year when, with all those injuries on the offensive line? And he, he was like, Oh my God. He's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking me that. And no, I haven't. It was ridiculous. Um, with the offensive line and with – I mean, I like Josh Doxson. I like Jameson Crowder. I like Paul Richardson. I don't know that they're – all of those guys are necessarily uh, locks to be great next year or, or even locks to be really good. But there's a lot of upside with this offense, and Alex Smith is a, a high-floor trigger man, right? Yeah, so that's to me uh, the word that's probably best used here is there is potential, there is upside. I don't think that the floor for this offense is as high as you probably like. There's a lot of risk that comes along with it because they've built the unit around injury-prone guys. Their best player that matters the most to them is Jordan Reed. And if you told me right now, Will, Jordan Reed's going to be on the field for a dozen or 13 games next year, I promise you I would tell you the Redskins are probably a top-10 offense. I mean, he's that wow. type of game-changing presence. And in every step of the way over the last few years, he's meant that much to them. And when he was at his best in 2015, they were ripping off four straight wins to make the playoffs. And when he's on the field, everyone else eats. There is a, a possibility and a, an opening for production from Jamison Crowder in the slot who could be special. From uh, players on the outside, whether that's Doxon now or before that it was Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson. And they all feast because of what Jordan Reed is doing. When he's hurt, everything changes. And all of a sudden, last year, they didn't have the speed. I remember talking to Kirk Cousins late in the year about this. They played Washington very differently, and they would do the same right now with Alex Smith as the quarterback if Reed's not there and you don't have any speed to stretch the field, which was basically everyone just kind of played a lot of zone and stacked as many defenders into the middle of the field as possible and tried to take away Jamison Crowder and a lot of those drags and crossers that Jay Gruden likes to run because no one could get behind them. So now you got Paul Richardson to take the lid off a little bit. You got Josh Doxson who can win some jump balls down the field. If Reed and, and Vernon Davis are healthy, you've got a tandem at tight end. You've got the best running back you've had on the roster in a couple of years in Geis. And a healthy Chris Thompson is one of the top half of the league third down backs unequivocally. There's a lot to like. I'm not as sold right now on the offensive line. I think they've actually gotten a little bit worse in that area. Mm. A left guard, Sean Laval, who's just okay, is gone. They're replacing him with Ari Quanjo, who they cut a year ago in training camp and fucked off Baltimore's practice squad. They got to do better at left guard for me. And at center, they're completely unproven. They got a six round pick, a season removed in Chase Rulia, who got a little experience last year, who's projected to start for them. And I think the jury's still out on him. Bigger problem in the interior is their tight end position because they're set at tackle with Trent Williams on the left and Morgan Moses on the right. And they've got an annual pro bowler now at right guard and Brandon Sheriff, who they took fifth overall out of Iowa a couple of years ago. But the problem is, in addition to the center and the left guard spot, 
they are as bad a blocking team at tight end as there is in the league, <laughs> and they have been for a few years. Reed's a wide receiver, and Vernon Davis just doesn't do that at the level he once did if you go back and watch last year. Niles Paul was a guy who's competitive and, and tries to do that, and he's now in Jacksonville. And a late-round draft pick from Arkansas going into his second season, Jeremy Sprinkle's going to play a bigger role. But they didn't add any tight end. So I worry a little bit about that for them. But does Jay Gruden want to commit to the run? Can he commit to the run? I mean, is he going to be a quantity over quality guy if they don't run it effectively? These are all important questions because I think balance will. is going to be more important for them this year than over the last couple of years when they could throw to win a little bit with Kirk Cousins. I think Alex Smith is much more manager than slinger. And when he's really thrived in the league, it's because he's had some really good running games to help keep him from having to do too much. Yeah. So when you hear everybody say it, and look, I mean, it's a, you know, Grant, it's Grant Paulson on the Pick Six podcast now. Uh, follow him at, at Grant H. Paulson on Twitter. When you hear people say things like, Oh, we think we upgraded our, uh, upgraded the quarterback position. I mean, that's just, that's just lip service in April in the NFL, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, I mean, like Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback given his upside and given his age and Alex Smith. We can all agree on that, right? Yeah, I think so. I think most people feel that way. I know that the people in the league, majority of them that I talk to, and this includes some offensive coordinators, some co- head coaches, some executives, uh, almost all of them told me they'd rather have Cousins than Alex Smith. Now, I can say this, though. Smith does a couple things better and differently than Cousins that is going to help this team as well. Namely, I think he's going to be a little better off schedule. He will extend some more plays. He's going to be less robotic with some of his reads. And he doesn't throw any interception. He just doesn't turn the ball over. And part of the reason for that is he's not going to force many things. He's also not going to make a whole lot of plays that aren't necessarily there deep down the field. My issue, I guess, with Alex Smith, who I think is a small step back from Cousins, not a monster one, but a step back for sure, is that People are just pretending like last year is authentic and real. I don't know if you get this same vibe, Will, where that's just who Alex Smith is now. Yeah. What about the 11 years before last year? Like, that just doesn't matter at all all of a sudden. The dude never threw for 4,000 yards. I don't think he ever had more than 25 touchdowns, which, I mean, basically, if if you get out of bed in 2017, you should throw for close to 4,000 yards if you start 16 games in the NFL. And he, he had Travis Kelsey, who's as good a weapon as there is in his position in the league. He had the best deep threat to football on Tyreek Hill. He had the supremely talented running back, who's an MVP candidate. Those guys aren't coming with him. So I look at a track record, and I see a guy who's done what he did last year one time, and never before that. So yeah, if he played exactly like he did last year, that's not a big drop-off from Kirk Cousins. You could tell me that he's every bit as good as a wash. I just don't think that's real. I think that was his career year. I just don't think you do that every year, let that, alone in your first year in a new system and a new conference. That's a it's, a, it's a really good point. So just doing the quick math here, um, from 2011, and we're going to be generous and, and started 2011, really when Jim Harbaugh got there and, and started to turn things around for, for Alex Smith in San Francisco. Two years in San Francisco and then four years in Kansas City, excluding 2017, he averaged, uh, 3,074 Passing yards per year. If 
per 16 game average, 3,300, almost 3,400 passing yards, um, averaged 19 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and 212 yards per game along with a 92.9 quarterback rating. Compare that with last year when he had over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, 8.6 yards per attempt. It was 7.1 in all the previous years and a 104.7 quarterback rating as well as 270 passing yards per game. You're right, Grant. I mean, that's the thing. The dude's th- like, I like Alex Smith a lot. And I think he gets a bad rap as being a game manager and a conservative, Agreed. a conservative guy, but he was throw, he threw the ball deep better than he ever has in an entire, in his entire career last year. And all this whole jump happened at the age of 33. That doesn't, that doesn't, that's not how sports and athletics and the human body work. <laughs> right. And, and that's the number I didn't mention. And it's the most important number probably is the 33. We're talking about the tail end of a career in terms of age and experience here. And I don't mean he's done next year or the year after, but I mean, what does he have, two, three years left? So to me, you don't become some new iteration and version of yourself at the very end of your career. It just doesn't work that way. So if if all of a sudden we're saying, well, now he's a great deep ball thrower and this is who he's going to be for the next four years, okay, that would be cool if that worked out for the Redskins. I just don't see it that way. I think last year he played exceptionally well. He deserves credit. But I think he was a product of a lot of good things going on around him as well. I don't think it's a coincidence or it's crazy, by the way, that the Chiefs decided that they're going to hand things over to Pat Mahomes when they're in a mode to contend. I think they know we got a good tight end. We got a good wide receiver for We got a good running game. A lot of guys can kind of thrive with it being 72 and sunny offensively right now. And I think they're going to be just fine without him. But, yeah, that, that's my big concern is the numbers you mentioned as 16-game averages over those years. Those are kind of Jag-esque. Yeah. Middle of the pack. A lot of guys can do that numbers, and they paid him a lot of money, by the way, on that extension. You're talking about a handful of million less per year in cap space than they didn't want to give Kirk Cousins, which is a whole other debate, but they gave him a massive contract. No, they did. And the other thing, too, that you mentioned Patrick Mahomes, I mean, I think plays a factor because this is just a real thing that happens in workplaces, irrespective of the National Football League. I mean, like it just happens everywhere. It happens in relationships, whatever. When the new guy comes in and you're motivated to keep the guy off your territory and you know that in Alex Smith's case, you know you're gone anyway. I mean, he sort of had a bleep it. I'm going to throw a deep approach to 2017. And I don't know that that's definitively going to happen uh, in, in 2018. Let's talk about the defense because they went out and got Deron Payne in the first round and they got him, you know, with a, I, I mean, I, th- I thought it was 13th overall was maybe that's in the range of, of where he was going to go, but I liked the pick. I thought Payne a lot, like a lot of these Alabama guys sort of fell down the, the draft, the, the draft heat chart because, you know, he's, he's not a, you know, he's not, he's a defensive lineman, interior guy, not super exciting, very steady in college, didn't, you know, doesn't have insane measurables, but to get him at 13 and then you plug him next to his old Alabama teammate, Jonathan Allen, you got some real mojo in the middle there, right? So they've made some progress, there's no doubt. And they went, as you said, back-to-back years with first-round picks from Alabama. Here's a pretty stunning stat I was digging up on draft night. The Redskins, prior to last year when they took John Allen, had not taken a down defensive lineman in the draft since 1997 in the first round with Kennard Lang. Uh, that was, again, in the mid-90s, Jeez. and now they've taken 
down defensive ends who they were kicking outside to play linebacker in a 34, but they hadn't taken beef for the middle of their D line in round one in well over a decade. They've done it now twice in two years and they had to, they, they just didn't have any ability to collapse the pocket or, or push the pocket into the lap of the quarterback. They got no interior pass rush over these last several years. John Allen last year was sensational for parts of the five games that he played. Yeah. The problem was he missed the last 11 games with plantar fasciitis and with a Liz Frank and, uh, he was cooked and done for the year. Now he'll be back healthy and he's going to have to be an integral piece to the puzzle, but he's going to have a buddy next to him and they're going to be a little bit deeper. So in Duran Payne, they love that he can play nose. They're going to put him over top of the center and they'll kick him outside as a three and a five tech at times. They're going to move him around. I think the defensive front, they're only in base 34, probably I think 12, 13% of the time, something like that. Uh, so he's going to get a lot of run as a traditional kind of four, three tackle to some extent as well. But, they think there's some pass rush to his game that he's going to develop in that area. I think he's a little bit more of just a space eater and a run stuffer, which is maybe why. And a lot of mocks and a lot of teams that linked him into the mid to late first round. A lot of people feel like maybe they took him a handful of picks early. They could have moved down and still gotten them. Supposedly they had a couple offers. They just didn't know if they could still get him where they would have had to move to. Hmm. So you like a player, you want to upgrade a need. You want to go best player, player available at a position where we need the most help. I got no problem with the selection. He's an instant starter. He's going to be on the field. A vast majority of first and second downs helping you stuff the run where you were, as I said, dead last in the league last year. And you got a nice little core working here. I mentioned Allen. There's a kid named Matt Ioannidis to keep an eye on at a Rutgers who's going into his third season. He led the team until he got hurt halfway through last year in pressures and quarterback contact as a pocket collapser from that nose and end position. I like what I saw from him. They've also got another end named Antoine Lanier who had a month where he had a sack in just about every single game late last season. who's really come on from a tiny college who they think is a nice little prospect and project. And they still got a couple of veterans. They signed Stacey McGee in free agency last year from Oakland. Uh, they've got Ziggy Hood, who's, who's a longtime NFL veteran, who's pretty stout at the point of attack as well. Uh, so they feel like there's now six or seven deep at a position where a year ago that they only had two guys that they liked. So they've made some major strides, and I think in pain – They've got someone who, if he stays healthy, has a really, really high chance of impacting them in week one all the way into the end of the season. Uh, he's going to get every opportunity to be a, a run stuffer. The question becomes how many plays does he make in the backfield? Because if you look, Will, he has, I think, two and a half combined TFLs and sacks last year at Alabama. That's a little bit alarming for me. Generally, you know, first-round defensive linemen have better pr productivity and numbers than that. He did a lot more of the, the non-statistical things. Yeah, I mean, three sacks over the course of his career in three years with Alabama, which, you know, again, you're talking about a interior defensive lineman, but you do, I mean, when you play on that Alabama defensive line, you are afforded the ability to get in the backfield occasionally because most teams, right, most teams can't double team everybody on that line. It's, I, I agree with you from that perspective. I almost wonder if, um, it, it seemed a little bit like at times with this Bruce Allen led front office that the Redskins are willing to go with what seems safe is that does that seem accurate yeah yeah i definitely think so well particularly this year i think it was a safer pick and it was a safer first couple of rounds i, I guess you could say they gambled on guys because of some of the character questions yeah but it was such a popular pick with the fan base i mean if you were around for the last month in dc fans were legitimately clamoring for him at 13 <laughs> what? so i think they knew when they pulled the trigger at 59 
you think that they just drafted Barry Sanders. It's unbelievable how people reacted <laughs> to this. See, I, I think it was a pretty safe a couple of rounds. I, I think they generally default to they don't want to spend a lot of money in free agency because they can get out of deals quicker. See Terrell McLean, who they just cut this week, a year after giving them twenty million bucks. And in in the draft, similarly, they may not go high upside superstar potential. Derwin James was on the clock. They didn't take him. Terrell Edmonds was available. They didn't take him. They'll go a, a little bit safer. I mean, it's not easy as an example when you watch a game to say, man, John Allen's a bust. He stinks. He's in the middle of the defensive line, and he's trying to clog things up. You mm-hmm. can tell if a safety stinks. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, you can tell if a running back stinks. You can, you know, you can't tell if a quarterback stinks right away, but they're focused. It's almost like the old adage of when people would say that offensive linemen are safe picks. They're not safe picks. Nobody, just nobody's going to call you out on them if they're, if they're, if they're a problem. They don't get you fired as quickly. Yeah. It's interesting when you look at Bruce Allen, too, and this doesn't surprise me either. Every single pick except for, Trey Quinn in the seventh round this year was a power five program, two Virginia yep. Tech guys, two more Alabama guys a year after drafting two Alabama guys in Jonathan Allen and, and Ryan Anderson. And then you look at last year's class, uh, with the exception of Chase Ruyer, uh, who you mentioned before, the center, and then Robert Davis, the wide receiver out of Georgia State, also all power five guys. I mean, that's sort of a stable of, of a front office that likes to keep things nice and neat is you don't want to, mess around with those D2 school guys. You, you know, you've seen, right. you've seen these guys go against competition. So it feels like, it feels like Bruce Allen might be developing a, a type, so to speak. Um, I want to ask you about this. The Redskins are the, they're not the lowest team in terms of the win total for next year, but they are the second lowest team. Uh, they have, I believe it's a, a seven wins is their, is their projected total. I'm trying to bring it up now. I, I'm, uh, let's see. The Redskins are, yeah, seven. Over under seven wins next year. What are your thoughts on how Vegas sets that number uh, with with regards to Washington and, and their schedule and, and what they did this offseason? I like that number fine because, well, there was actually a book that came out with five and a half. Wow. And we thought that was shocking. I'm, I was telling everyone, listen, I said, make your flight, get to Vegas, <laughs> yeah. take that number because that is way too low. I've got them going eight and eight. I think a couple things work against them. Number one, their schedule is brutal. Now, I will say that I am very much a proponent of making fun of anyone who goes through the schedule and picks wins and losses uh, when these schedules come out because I think it's a joke. You can see some stuff. What's that? You can see, like, there's some stuff you can see, like, like, you know, like if you have, yeah. if you have, if you have three road games in four weeks and you get four days to prepare for the Cowboys on the road and then have to go and play the Eagles the very next week in primetime again on the road, like, that's just going to be hard regardless of, you know, what those teams look like. 100%. And you can even find, like, the Redskins play the toughest division in football that you basically, that the division that you have to walk into each year is a, is a bad break for them, right? So you, yep. Those types of things, fine. But who knows if, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy when you play the Packers or if the week you're playing uh, a team that has lost three in a row and doesn't have their best pass rusher is on the road for a second straight week, which drops their chances of winning by X percent over the last number of years. But my point is I, I think it's a tough schedule, number one. And number two, they have not done enough defensively for me to turn themselves into the operation that I thought was necessary for them to have gotten into that 10-win mix with Alex Smith as their quarterback. I thought that the ingredients there would be, number one, find a way to beef up your running game enough that you can be a run-first operation to take 
some air out of the football. And they didn't do that. I, I mentioned their personnel on the offensive line is worse than it was last year. They didn't upgrade. If anything, they took a small step back in terms of the ability to block at tight end, which was their biggest issue in the running game last season. Now, they've gotten markedly better at running back with Darius Geis. No denying that. And if he just waits a wand over everything, makes everything better, okay, now you can be balanced and you can stay in third and manageable. But I don't think if Alex Smith is tasked with the same amount of food on his plate as Kirk Cousins was, that it will end as well as last year did. Because I think Alex Smith is a little bit more dependent, a passer. And then number two defensively, uh, they didn't spend the money or go get the marquee players in free agency that I think would have helped them to have some type of a renaissance on that side of the ball. If they stay healthy, you know, last year at times, as I said, they lost John Allen, their best defensive lineman. They lost Zach Brown, their best linebacker. Uh, they played without their best secondary members, including a terrific young safety named Monte Nicholson for extensive periods of time. It, just by staying healthier, they should make some big strides. But their best free agent addition on defense before they brought in Deron Payne in the draft was probably Pernell McPhee. Oh, no. You know, the outside linebacker from Chicago. Who's a dude. I mean, he just, you know, four and a half sacks and probably seven or eight games if he could stay healthy for that long. Other than that, they kept a couple of their own guys, including Zach Brown. So I think the defense at best is probably middle of the pack still. Offensively, uh, they will have some great games and some real duds and stinkers. And I think they're about an eight and eight football team. They did enough to stay competitive, and that's what the Smith deal got them, I think, Will. You lost Kirk Cousins. And they were at risk of getting back into that bucket of teams that need a quarterback and getting back into that 5-11, and 11, kind of picking in the top six or seven range. And they went and they traded for Alex Smith to stay afloat and, and keep the, the boat from going under. I'm just not sure how much of a propeller they got to shoot this thing forward right now. I, I kind of feel like this discussion of Bruce Allen's draft classes as well as the moves in free agency and the Alex Smith trade and then looking at the schedule and you're right about the schedule. So, I mean, they get, they get two daggers here because you mentioned that Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Well, one, they're playing at Arizona the first week, which means Sam Bradford's going to be healthy and Sam Bradford looked great. Right, exactly. Sam, Bra- Sam Bradford looked great in, in week one last year, uh, for the Vikings. So I think that's a problem. The Colts at home better be a win in week two. Uh, and then but you got to get the Packers coming to town in week three. That's not easy. A week four bye week is a disaster for any NFL team. If you have yeah. to, I mean, if, that means you get no break. Like they, they believe they, they, they in September and then they, they don't get to stop playing football until January. I mean, that's, that's insane. And I mentioned they that- do get the one benefit because you're hundred percent right about that. Although when, when you say that to a coach like Jay Gruden or Mike Shannon over the years, will say that Thanksgiving game they play against the Cowboys oh, gives you that weekend. Yeah. So it's it's almost like a mini buy. I, I don't quite buy the logic, but the thinking is you have the ten days to rest up. But it also means when you play that Thursday, that you're going to be without three or four guys that might have been able to go come Sunday. Yeah, exactly. And then you look at this stretch from that starts on Thanksgiving. So they on well November 18th they get the Texans at home. Four days later they're in Dallas to play the Cowboys, and then they're at Philadelphia. The Giants at home on, and the Phillies game is on, the Eagles game is on a Monday night, excuse me. So that's a short week home against the Giants and then at Jacksonville and at Tennessee. Now look, Jacksonville and Tennessee, those are prime targets for being stink bombs late in the year that they regressed that people weren't expecting to see. But that's four road games in five weeks with the, with your final week 17 game against the Eagles. I think, I think you're right. It's a, it is a very hard schedule. They're going to need to 
overperform against some of these NFC South teams, which is not easy to do. And and, well, gonna, and that's the big draw that was tough to me. I think that division, you tell me if I'm crazy here. You're not. You follow the league nationally better than anybody. I think that division is going to be really good this year. It's by far the best division in football, and it's not even close. I mean, there. Yeah. Because when you talk about when you talk about a team potentially regressing, what you're banking on is. Like, you can't bank on a quarterback just blindly falling apart. I mean, the Saints, the Saints are going to be good on offense, you know, like if Drew Brees is healthy and their defense looked really good last year. The Falcons are going to be good on offense. They had a, a, a fall comeback here last year and they were still really dangerous on offense. And I think Dan Quinn's got a, a defensive unit that's cooking there. Uh, Tampa Bay, you know, they, they, Drop back, but I can see Jameis Winston maybe making a, having a rebound year and their defensive line has got a lot better in the, in the offseason and in the draft. And then I think Cam Newton with Norv Turner, you know, taking over from Mike Shula is probably going to have a nice little year. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it is a tough, tough matchup for, uh, for the Redskins. I, I but I like this eight and eight situation. They're just going to be perfectly situated in the middle. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how they set themselves up, to be honest with you. They had a choice, right? They could have. If you kept Cousins, I honestly don't know how much different the prediction for me would be, but at least you continue to build toward whatever you were headed toward. When he moved on, and I think the ship had sailed and it wasn't completely their decision anyway, he had decided he was going elsewhere based on the last few years. But when that happened, they then had the choice, do we not necessarily hit detonate, but start over at quarterback, and and basically the best way to get good is to be bad. You know, you see that logic in other sports, and you see the the building process, where they at 13 would have gotten into the draft pool where they needed a quarterback and maybe piece a couple things to move up and pick their guy. They chose to go the Alex Smith route, and while I think it's a good thing for this fan base because people didn't want to go back to 4-12 and 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 5-11, because this is the only team other than the Browns that hasn't won 11 games in the last 20-plus years, I think that they kept themselves kind of in a mediocre bucket with this move. The, the answer to the whole thing, though, in terms of can they go ten and six? Will it be the, the nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine range? Is Alex Smith? Yeah. If he plays like he did last year, and you know, me, me poking fun at the several years before that is irrelevant after the end of this season, and he is that same guy. You can absolutely win double digit games. I mean, that that was an MVP level quarterback at the midway point of the season, and and that changes any organization. I just wouldn't bet on that. You're right. When we talk about regression and, you know, Alex Smith is due for a regression to the mean after last year, but, uh, hey, you never, I mean, you never know. Weirder things have happened. Carson Wentz might take time to recover. The Cowboys could stink. And, uh, Dave Gettleman maybe drafted a running back number two overall, which could torpedo the, uh, the Giants. <laughs> Who knows what could happen? All right. Grant, I've taken up too much of your time. We are, uh, the Pick Six podcast is about to wrap up. Grant Paulson, 1067, the fan in DC. Must listen stuff with him. He and, uh, Grant and Danny from 10 to 2. Follow him on Twitter at Grant H. Paulson and uh, listen to him MLB Network. Watch him on NBC Washington with the Capitals. Capitals are having a year and uh, and also Fox 5 DC. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you, Will. Be well, buddy.